This is a 3CR community radio podcast. In Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page. Good afternoon, this is Encyclopedia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. And today, Saturday, the oh, sorry, Sunday the 3rd of December is International Day of People with a Disability with 12 hours of Radical Community Radio by four and about people with a disability today. Um, we've been going since 7am with a number of uh, number of our presenters here rejigging their shows to focus on uh, the issues faced by people who have a disability. And there are a wide variety of disabilities that people uh, can have as well. Some of them more invisible than others, um, some of them more debilitating than others. Uh, but it's important we talk about all of these and that's what we're going to do today. But uh, we're going to have a special focus uh, on a bit of a, a crossover uh, between um, pe- well, uh, I mean we're a show about people who use drugs um, and I know um, for a fact that uh, people who have a disability might also be people who use drugs. In fact, uh, a lot of mental uh, people with mental illness, there's a lot of uh, crossover uh, with uh, dual diagnosis on uh, whether or not on, on uh, using drugs and also uh, having a mental illness. And I think um, it's important that we talk about uh, that as well, especially sometimes where uh, it, it's not clear if people are self-medicating where their drug use might actually be helpful um, or where it might actually be more detrimental. And these, these are complex issues. Um, also, um, people with a disability and going out, going out to festivals, going out to bars, pubs, going out to music venues and seeing things. Uh, we know that uh, often uh, a lot of places are not uh, well made to have disability access. Even here at 3CR, our studios are accessible, um, but we have an upstairs area, which is literally up some stairs, um, not very accessible for those uh, who find stairs a bit difficult. And even our downstairs area, there are still stairs here. It's just the reality of a lot of uh, buildings, uh, especially older buildings that were built that way and retrofitting them can sometimes be very difficult but Melbourne is actually one of the better cities uh, from what I understand in terms of accessibility. Uh, I was in New York City a um, couple of years back and you would not want to be uh, disabled and, and, and have to use the public transport there, the subway there uh, because there are not very many lifts uh, and a lot of the time you'll be walking up and down stairs and in, in crowded and uh, older older places so you know that is something that we should uh, at least be thankful for for a little bit in Melbourne here, that we are relatively accessible, we, but we still have a long, long way to go, uh, and we'll be talking a little bit about that uh, later in the program. Um, first up, let's uh, listen to some music. Let's get some music on. Uh, all of this music coming from uh, artists who have a disability, and I've just been handed a list, so I'm going to uh, pick one uh, right now. This is Gaylene Lee. She's an American folk singer, violinist, uh, violinist, public speaker, and disability advocate from Minnesota. She won NPRs, or National Public Radio's 2016 Tiny Desk Contest. Uh, she was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, a condition that causes complications in the development of bones. Galen developed a technique for violin which involves holding the instrument in front of her like a cello. Uh, she began touring nationally in September 2016 and uses her music as a platform to advocate for people with disabilities and to promote positive social change. This is uh, Boys of Blue Hill on 3CR. Ooh. Let's put that there. There we go. <laughs> Boys of Blue Hill on 3CR.
Galen Lee with Boys of Blue Hill on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today it is International Day of People with a Disability, all day on 3CR um, with programs uh, talking about these sorts of issues uh, for all day. <laughs> and on the line now, um, I actually uh, have the mother of one of my um, one of my bestest friends who is uh, no longer with us, um, but I wanted to dedicate this show to him today because I actually started doing... Uh, in psychedelia about I, I think I'd done about three episodes um, before uh, he'd passed away and I was wasn't expecting uh, wasn't expecting what happened to happen he was 27 had uh, muscular dystrophy um, and for those that, that don't know it can be um, uh, it, it can it can kill people off quite quite early even um, before their 20s um, I had that hopeful feeling in the back of my mind, as I'm sure a lot of people do, that no, no, this this will be fine. He's just going into into hospital um, this time, and and it'll be fine. It'll all work out. These sorts of problems just happen, and you know it, it'll be fine. But I think he was um, more aware, but also proud, uh, and didn't didn't want to let on that this was going on. But his name was Max uh, Luca Redaway. Um, I've got his mother, uh, Garby, on the phone right now. Garby, how are you today? Thank you very well. Thank you for joining us. Now, I I first met Max when I was uh, actually working up in uh, in Bega in in New South Wales, uh, and I was on the Youth Shire Council, uh, and Max was also on the uh, Bega Valley Shire Youth Council, and we sort of did uh, things for the young people in the area because there wasn't a whole lot to do. Um, but I I didn't really become good friends with Max until after I moved from Bega, which is <laughs> pretty typical. But we did have a few uh, interesting memories, and I I think Max really um. Uh, stood out to me as a, as a sort of standout person because of his attitude towards things. He wasn't somebody who was looking for um, uh, looking for um, special well anything really. He just wanted to be like everybody else, as I imagine most people do. Um, and uh, <laughs> I have some particularly entertaining uh, memories, though, of uh, the way he handled when. Um, uh, for example, I was at the uh, uh, a pub in Tarthra, um, which is close to where he grew up, um, and we were both having a, f- a few drinks there. Um, and this this guy came up to him at the bar, and a guy that he went to high school with in, in Bega, and and started to uh, reel off this this lengthy apology. You know, five, six, seven years later, uh, and this Max told me about this guy and said, you know, he made his life hell at school. Basically, would tease him for all sorts of things. You know, he walks funny, and oh, you know, make fun of him for all sorts of things, push him around that kind of thing. And uh, Max accepted the drink that this man bought as a sort of, uh, you know, sorry offering um, and proceeded to tell him exactly why he wasn't going to accept his apology um, and why it was half-assed and a little bit too late. And um, it was both the most awkward and amazing thing I think I'd <laughs> ever seen. Um, but later later that night, uh, or in fact, I think the next morning, I think, uh, Garby, was when you... Um, when when we came to you and um, during the rest of that night there had been a, a few more drinks had uh, Max was able to uh, to walk without uh, use of a walking stick for the most part um, when when we were there but uh, as as you know alcohol generally uh, it disturbs people's balance and and we were both uh, in that way a little bit and and Max uh, kissed the ground a little bit hard and there was blood and laughter uh, and then a decision that um, this meant he needed to go to the hospital, uh, went nearly to the hospital, then decided no, it wasn't a hospital need, uh, ended up both of us uh, in my bed, uh, him uh, 
glued to my pillow because of the the blood caking on um and me um i regularly sleep naked so i i slept naked there so that was a bit awkward but then the next day i believe it was your 60th birthday garby yeah that's right i turned 60 i remember that very well because we went out to the mimosa winery and max asked me if i take him because he looked so terrible and so bloody and I said, yeah, well, there is no excuse. You have to come. There is no escape. It's my sixth year's birthday. So he came. And then we also we met this girl that he did know from Bega High School who was waiting there. And uh, he said, oh, my God, she is seeing me like I look now, too. So he was very embarrassed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we managed to have my... 60th birthday than in the winery. <laughs> yes. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that again. That was <laughs> com- completely yeah. unintentional, but uh, I think we had good in- good intentions to, to fix everything up and then we decided it was go to, go to sleep time. But, um, you know, there was a, a lot of memories that I had uh, with Max. Not quite like this. I think we got a little bit more, uh, look slightly more sensible <laughs> as, as, uh, as time went on. But um, maybe you can share with us a, a memory about um, growing up with Max because you, d- you don't find out about muscular dystrophy until, what, the age of nine or ten? Is that about right? No, like, um, um, we did not find out anything about that because I went through all these places in Bega. I went through all the doctors to the hospital, to natural healers, name it, and nobody could answer what was wrong with Max and why he walked so funny. That is how it all started. And uh, then... he went to Canberra and uh, in the hospital they did a blood test and he was 15 years old then and they could finally tell uh, what it was and I didn't even know what muscular dystrophy was. Like uh, I found that out when yeah when I went online and researched muscular dystrophy after Max came back and told us that he has uh, this disease and my God was that shocking. <laughs> and it, I mean, that, yeah, that it is life taking, and like we went then afterwards to Sydney, and we saw that a very famous professor in Sydney in Randwick in the hospital, and he he was very positive because he said that it might be curable. Hmm. Yeah, anyway, um, it didn't turn out that way. And I, I suppose that also. You know, demonstrates that when you when you are growing up in a in a regional area and you do have a um, a disability, it can be sometimes quite difficult to diagnose and, and difficult um, to to find out just what's going on because some of these require you know quite a bit of expertise to be able to pin down and, and know exactly what it is because it's not just muscular dystrophy. There was a specific subsection of muscular dystrophy that that Max had as well. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Becker's muscular muscular dystrophy. Which, it's called Becker's. Ah, uh, Becker's, Becker's muscular dystrophy, yeah. which yeah. isn't isn't the worst of them, is it? But there are ones that are oh. um, that are will, will give people a longer lifespan, I suppose, if you want to measure it that way. Yeah, and like um, <clears throat> this muscular dystrophy, often children have that when they are five and they die like after a year. Right. So Max was in a way lucky, you know, that he still could live on. A little longer. Would have been but nicer if it could have been a lot yeah. longer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's just in, in rural areas, that is what I will always criticize. There is nobody there who will be able to tell you because there is not enough education and knowledge. And you have to really <clears throat> be aware that you have to go to the city. 
Exactly, yeah. which can be quite expensive and and you know take a lot of time out of your uh, out of your lives to go and do that sort of thing. Right. Um, yeah. Now you you I mean Max and I were housemates for a while. Um, when when uh, I moved back down to Melbourne, he had also moved to Melbourne. Um, his partner at the time was also another one of my good friends, Ray, um, and uh, we, we hung out quite a lot. In fact. Um, most most weekends and considering we're housemates most days as well played a lot of uh, Mario Kart and you know, those sorts of things but um, I, I imagine that you're aware Garby that uh, that Max uh, was was having drinks and other things with us what what's it like to be a parent uh, of somebody with a disability like Max had and know that he's uh, he's doing you know things that that are people commonly sort of see as oh these are these are health hazards these could be you know harming him more is is there a told him that he will die earlier if he keeps on drinking and like and he just laughed you know and like I <clears throat> I think I did the right thing that I just uh, took that on and uh, lived with, with his uh, habits I think that is a, a much better idea than kind of standing up and saying that's it you know you are not allowed and he he wouldn't have followed that anyway Max always did what he wanted and what he said to me is that is why he loved me so much because I let him do and I think uh, ma- many parents should t- take that to the heart you know that your children will only love you if if you let them go you know if you let them do what they want and I don't know how much did really believe that his disease was killing him you know I'm not too sure about that Nick I'm also not too sure. I'm not too sure. Uh, I mean, you know, it's hard to tell because it wasn't something that he particularly actively spoke about. And I remember the last um, time that I saw him, I was going to go and make a, a bunch of music and put some of the, the podcasts of this radio show onto a little MP3 player. And I was sort of like, I, I sort of wanted to bring up, you know, if, if anything happens, is there anything you want me to do? But I thought, no, no, it's like um, it's like if you say it, you jinx it. You've got, like, I had this silly thing in, in my head, and I think Max in, in some ways had um, a similar thing. I think it stems from this sort of pride of not wanting to admit the, the um, your mortality, I guess. The seriousness of the disease. That is what he never took on, ever. He just didn't take it serious, ever. You know, for him, it was kind of an ongoing thing that um, he called himself, remember, cripple? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's a it's a difficult thing. Um, I, I mean, in some ways... In some ways, it's it's difficult because it's it's obviously it's a it's a disability and it has all sorts of effects on your life. But at the same time, I understand that Max didn't want that. Um, I guess hanging over him, he knew that we were all there. We we were always supportive of him and and always um you know would make sure to go to places and venues um that were accessible, especially later as he got used his um uh, walking stick more and then eventually a wheelchair. Um, so we always uh-huh. made sure to be um, inclusive of that sort of thing. So I never think um that was what worried him. But I think there was this, um, you know, never wanting to have to uh, discuss too much these the really difficult issues. And I, I, I mean, I feel um, sad about that, but I'm also understanding that he just wanted to talk about, I, I guess, normal things and just and just do, you know, life as it as it came and and not uh, not have that defining him as a person. Yeah, that's right. He he just <clears throat> never accepted that really that he has that disease. I think that he kind of tried to um, deny deny 
you know, like uh, that helped all of us, I think, that we were in denial. And <clears throat> I don't think he ever thought he would die. You know, <laughs> the first person who said that was his friend uh, uh, that you met also at his wake. And um, he said that he might die. And Max just laughed and, and said, I will never die. <laughs> and I think he really thought that he will not die. And he didn't take that on that serious that maybe I did. Because like uh, I also talked to my daughter in that time. And I said, have you ever met anybody who has, has not died on muscular dystrophy? You know, because she was in denial as well. So, like, I think uh, that might have also helped him to overcome that all, because he really refused to talk about it. Not He didn't even talk with me about, like, um, going deeper in that disease and his disability. He always made a joke, you know, and I think that is how he wanted to be taken. He didn't want to make that uh, that most important thing in his life. And I think he, he lived to the fullest and... I think that that is what what he uh, did, and he said often to me, "I don't have much time," and I think um, I followed that, and um, I'm, yeah, and maybe in his inner self he did know, but he would not go there and consciously accept that. We're just about um, out of time, Garby. But before we go, is there any anything that you'd like to say to anybody that might be listening who is a a, a parent, um, perhaps, or? carer uh, of somebody with a disability, um, anything that you feel that you've learnt um, from Max that you want to pass on? Yeah, I, I would advise everybody to stay as positive as possible and make the life of your disabled child beautiful as much as you can and let it do or let them do what they want to do. I think that's very important and, and don't interfere, you know. But, like, I don't know, Max never have had depression. So, like, um, I think that comes in with disability, too, in many cases. But, yeah, like, be positive and uh, make uh, make things light and uh, uh, stay patient and, uh, yeah, be good. <laughs> it's all what I have to say, really. Gabi, thank you very much for joining us on In Psychedelia for uh, International Day of People with a Disability Day. Yeah, I, I'm very much aware of that. Thank you also, Nick, and um, take care, and i talk to you soon. You too. Take care, Gabi. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Gabi Redaway, uh, mother of Max Luca Redaway, uh, one of my uh, good friends. He passed away um, in July uh, 2015. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au.
all disabilities are visible. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a tick, but uh, that just that you heard from is Manicus Costas. He's from Thessal- Thessal- Thessaloniki in Greece. I've butchered that, I'm sure. He studied music technology and acoustics in Crete, um, but in 2010 had a car accident that left him with limited hand function. Since then, he has devoted himself into composing with virtual instruments. A trackball mouse is his main instrument, and that was uh, between two notes there. Um, so as, as I said, not all disabilities are visible. Um, many people uh, have a uh, mental illness that um, that they struggle with or, or some other uh, issue that might not be uh, very visible. Um, but Ash from Encyclopedia was at the or oh, is at the Hemp Health and Innovation Expo today at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. Uh, he has been catching up with a range of people seeking a change to the cannabis plant's inappropriate legal prohibition and uh, to demonstrate its many uses and applications. We're going to cross to Ash now, live at the Hemp Health and Innovation Expo, where he's also tweeting live on the Encyclopedia Twitter, um, which you can find twitter.com forward slash Encyclopedia. And he's catching up with a group seeking to assist people uh, struggling with uh, PTSD. This is Ash from Encyclopedia, and I'm here at the Hemp Health and Innovation Expo with Damon Adams and Mick Harding from We Did Warrior. And what do you guys do? Uh, so we're an ex-service organisation. Um, we provide support and information for ex-military and emergency service personnel. Um, as well as that, we're sort of lobbying with to Department of Veterans Affairs and government to try and get some better legislation in place to support medicinal cannabis for vets. Awesome. Yeah, so That's it's just mainly advocacy, getting out there, getting all the politicians involved, but also letting the vets know that we're here for them. Uh, it, was, it was hard for us to sort of go into cannabis from pharmaceuticals when there was no one else out there with it. It was international but not here, so we're here for all the Aussie vets now and, and first responders. And how did you guys come to this? It's a pretty kind of intense space, like out of the stuff here. Some people are happy selling hydroponics and that. You guys are jumping right in there with like people with PTSD and, and you know, service personnel. How did, how did you come to that? Um, well, we're all... Dame and myself both ex-defence, yeah. um, so... After our experiences within the Defence Force, we sort of, through our own journeys, came to finding cannabis as well as other alternatives to manage our conditions. Um, and so through that, we sort of thought we'd try and help the rest of our sort of mates and that sort of the veteran community um, and start Weeded Warrior. So yeah, that's that's sort of what led us here. Um, we, we run meetings now that we're getting veterans coming along to. Um, Interacting part of part of the concept and the idea is um, creating a community that encourages veterans to connect back with their mates. Um, it gets them out of their homes and reduces the suicide. Yeah, suicide's been the biggest one uh, for us, and and obviously the PTSD. So uh, Mick and I are both veterans. Um, Mick served in Afghanistan. I was in Iraq. Um, and we, we both came home with service-induced uh, injuries. The, the, the only option for us was pills, and pills just aren't conducive to a, a good lifestyle. Um, I got had another injury when I was in the police force as well, so I had a knee injury, and I got put on uh, opiates for the rest of my life, just OxyContin, and the doses just went up and up and up and up, and it got to the point where I became a, a junkie. I was, an, I was a, a dependent person on pharmaceutical drugs and that was that was my only other choice it was was that or substance um, and, and 
that just wasn't going to happen sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, went to, went to cannabis after a long talk with a friend. She had multiple uh, sclerosis, mm-hmm. used it to control her spasticity for her tremors and that sort of stuff. And after a few years of kicking indoors and ripping up crop plants and, and that sort of stuff, and, you know, in the police, you don't sort of um, see any person as a, a different drug user, just everyone's a junkie, and that's what you get taught at the academy as well. Doesn't matter whether you use cannabis or heroin, sort of thing. It's just you're you're a junkie. So with that knowledge um, I I had, which was absolutely minimal about cannabis, the first time I tried it, it was uh, it was profound. It was I, I wanted to know why this illegal drug was doing more to relieve my my pain and give me a better lifestyle than the only legal choice was. So that's what started me on my on my big quest I guess and was that difficult coming from police to like that's oh, a big I, shift in perception yeah yeah for sure so I, I was a massive right-wing nut job um, my, my father was ex-military as well it was the whole works and jerks Christian family that sort of thing and um, cannabis didn't just fix my my knee sort of thing it, it gave me perspectives that I hadn't had before as well but the, the stigma surrounding it I lost so so many friends um, just in the police and, and the military sort of thing, they just they were against cannabis and just didn't agree with it. So too bad, so sad. Friendship gone, sort of thing. And you know, you, you, there were lots of times where you sit there at night and talk to my wife and that sort of stuff. So am I doing the right thing? Is it, am I? Is this worth it? Am I? Should I just start taking pills again and just put up with it? Do, do I? Do I keep going with cannabis and lose more friends and put myself in harm's way. I, I lost jobs. I, I, I lost a job at a school because I went on a TV show on SBS talking about cannabis and next day I got a letter saying you, you don't get any more shifts here too bad, so sad. So you know, there's, there's all those obstacles along the way but life life is worth it and, and a better life is worth it. Having having mates not kill themselves is worth it. Having Not having the phone calls from, from wives of mates to say, you know, he's, he's not here anymore sort of thing, that's worth it. If, if I can get one guy up here that used to be in the, the defence force or still is sort of thing and says, you know, I need help, pharmaceuticals aren't working, we give them some options, worth it. If, if we see that guy the next year at the next expo, awesome. So, I don't know, we, we're here to help people get a better life. And how's the support going with your advocacy? Are you kind of gaining ground there, do you reckon? Um, slightly. Uh, we've, we've had... Um, a number of meetings with um, senior people within Department of Veterans Affairs and they're reluctant until there's more clinical trials they're reluctant to support it um, as well as the there's challenges between federal legislation and state legislation because the states have been given the um, power to dictate how the legislation's played out um, and DBA's a federal agency they're reluctant to sort of support individual states as opposed to the whole nation. So until there's more federal guidelines to prescribing medicinal cannabis, they're also hesitant at supporting us. But I mean, I do see it as a positive thing that they are at least happy to interact with us and have have the conversation because a couple of years ago they weren't even prepared to sit down with us. So it it is a progression, it's just something that is a slow progression. A marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, we're the turtle, not the hare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you guys are doing great work. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers, Ash. Thanks, Ash. Any uh, highlights from the conference so far? I uh, just getting to meet the new vets that, that we haven't seen before. The, the guys that are brave enough and the girls that are brave enough to come and say, hey, I, 
I might need some help or a friend. Like we had a group in before, they came in on behalf of their friend, he, he couldn't come. So they got all the information for him and they sat down and had a, a massive chat about him and, and what they can do for him sort of thing. So we're here for anybody to help. Get in touch, we're online as well. Look us up, we're here to help. Awesome. And uh, where can they find you online? Uh, www.weededwarrior.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And Twitter. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. And that was Ash uh, live from the Health, uh, Hemp Health and Innovation Expo down at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. It's running until uh, the end of today and there have been a number of exhibitors talking about uh, the cannabis plant and there uh, the uh, warriors, uh, weeded warriors are speaking about uh, cannabis as possible um, medical applications or, or applications in treating or helping to, to treat some uh, mental health conditions. Of course, there's not a whole lot of research um, that is around th- those particular conditions there is a lot of research around cannabis for a wide variety of uh, of conditions, but it's it's so broad and the applications are so broad that we still have a while to go in specifically treating things. But if people are saying that it's helping them, uh, it's probably worth listening up. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM digital, streaming at 3cr.org.au. Push on a pedal, push on a pedal, get your heart started. Push on a pedal, push it down and up again. Push on a pedal. You have to try very hard not to have fun on a push bike. Yarrabug, a show about bikes. Get on your bike. Riding them. Sit on the seat. Fixing them. Push your feet on the pedal. Loving them. And ride it all around. Mondays. 10 a.m. to 10:30 here on 3CR. Put your feet on the pedals and ride it all around, ride it all around. City limits brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9 a.m. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment, to transport and planning and housing issues to privatisations and our utility services, to building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Since Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, uh, today is International Day of People with uh, Disability and uh, we have been broadcasting since 7am with a number of programs covering a number of issues for those uh, that have a disability. Uh, right now I have uh, two people, one in the studio with me, Liz Wright uh, from uh, Are You Looking At Me Thursdays 4pm on 3CR. How are you doing Liz? Yeah, really good thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Now you're also the coordinator of today's programming I believe. Oh no, I'm no? just part of a team. Oh, part of I'm just part of a team with Helen Gwillem, Michaela, Juliet and Gab. Thank you to everyone who has been involved with it. You've all done a fantastic job. Well, what's been really great this year is, is not suspending broad, um, broadcasting but actually getting programmers to put a disability bent on their own show in their own time slot, which is brilliant because it spreads the word. Absolutely. And everybody's got something to share. Yep, because uh, people with a disability are not just relegated to one part of the community. They are in everybody's communities. They're part Absolutely. of all subcultures. Um, it's it's you know not something that uh, often not something that people expect to have in the first place. Whether it's somebody who uh, parents that are um, not expecting to have a child with a disability, yeah. or you, you end up in an accident one day that leaves you with a look. That's disability. right. The stats are: look, one in five people have a disability. Two in five people know someone with a disability. Uh, you know, it, and it's growing because we're also going to get age-related disability as well as we have this hugely aging population. It's growing not because we're getting necessarily more people with a disability, but because we're living longer and just if you live longer, you tend to, things happen. 
yeah, things That's, break down yeah. and, and, you know, all of that stuff. Look, I'm in a group, of, like a peer group, where I was the one with low vision and now they're all holding menus like three feet away from their faces and all starting to get glasses and it's kind of levelled the playing field a little bit. <laughs> and, and you're sitting there twiddling your fingers going, my on. plan yeah. has worked. I've been working on practising how to do this for years and now you're all my minions. Yeah. Also on the line, Kate Pern. Uh, Kate, how are you doing today? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, you said you were not, not feeling uh, the best, but that's uh, not just, just sickness, general sickness. Um, uh, yeah, um, so yeah, I have chronic fatigue syndrome, so... Um, yeah, let's get straight into it. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> having a little bit of an off day today, but, you know, that doesn't mean I'm not good, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And can you tell us a little bit, for those, uh, probably most of us have heard what uh, what chronic fatigue is. I remember I had a, a friend in primary school who missed a year of school because they thought it was glandular fever, but then it was chronic fatigue they found out later. Have you got a similar sorts mm. of sort of story? When did you find out? What is it? So, um, what is it? It's that's a it's a hard question to answer. Really, um, what it is, it's a disorder in which your body isn't producing energy properly. So, um, you know, the inside your body which produces energy just isn't working, and so you put the fuel in. You're putting the fuel in the tank, but it's it's not producing the energy you need, um, and so that gives, causes physical fatigue and then also mental fatigue, or we call that brain fog. Um, and it's it's why it's a uh, it's pretty poorly understood. Um, we don't completely know exactly what causes it. We're learning a lot more um, the last few years. A lot of research has come out. Come out. It's a very kind of new topic. Um, but it, it, the problem is, is that um, it's caused by so many different things. So each person with chronic fatigue, um, what's actually causing their issues could be completely different from another person. So it can be caused by like triggered like a um, like a and virus, something like glandular fever, um, can be triggered by, um, you know, food intolerances, um, environmental things like mold toxicity, um, a lot of genetic components. Um, so for that reason, it's very hard to research because um, there are so many different causes. Mm, hard to pin down the factors. And if you don't have some something to work from, then it's, you know, it's, it's really really difficult to figure it out. And I suppose the, the effect of chronic fatigue is right there in the name. You get tired a lot. Is that the... Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. I guess there's a lot, um, there's sort of a lot more to it than that. There's, you know, things like, um, you know, muscle pain um, and, yeah, like the, the mental side of things is sort of quite hard to explain. Um, but, yeah, it's really, it's a really strange feeling. It's like you, you know, you want to do things and, like, but you're just, like, your body just, like, can't do them. Um, and one day you might be able to and then the next day you can't. So it can be quite sort of unpredictable. Um, and it's cha- challenging because it's, it's, it's not a visible disease. And people, you know, people who are well enough to go out into the community, people will see them on their good days and they seem fine and then you don't see them on their bad days when they're bedridden. And, and, but a huge proportion of people with chronic fatigue syndrome or ME, um, myelagic encephalitis. Say that again, Kate. Oh, oh, yeah, one more. <laughs> yeah. Myelagic encephalitis. Okay. I'm saying that right. Um, so that that's, that name refers to muscle. It refers to muscle pain and um, the um, the brain inflammation um, in that name. That's used more in the UK um, than it is here. Kate, I um, want to chip in a little bit here now, yeah. just as well. Um, on my show, because I interview people around disability, chronic illnesses, disease, all sorts of things to do with dis- anything that's disabling. So. Um, 
the thing about chronic fatigue that also comes in is people are often not believed for having the symptoms mm. they have, which, uh, you know, I'm yep. sure Nick was going to touch on this as well. And that creates um, another layer of, of kind of disabling behaviour in a way because, first of all, you don't feel great, but then you have to prove that you don't feel great. And this, yep. as you said, the research is, you know, uh, just kicking in now and people have to prove why they were great yesterday and not great today. Yeah. It's really challenging, and I—I I mean, I'm—I'm I'm lucky. I—I—I'm um, I, a nurse, and I got onto. Um, I realised what was happening, so I was diagnosed two, uh, two years ago, um, and I had glandular um, in 2005, um, and I don't really know exactly the relation with that, but had some bouts of fatigue, but then sort of felt fine um, over the sort of years in between. But yeah, I, so I got onto it really quickly. So um, you know, I'm really lucky in that I, I, I I'm I've, I've able to um, return to work for just like you know a little bit, and I'm you know able to do um, sort of basic things that I need to do when, with a lot of people who have chronic fatigue syndrome can't. Um, but I, it's it's really challenging because you know there's still doctors out there who claim it's not real. Um, mm. You know, people go to their GP and say, "I feel awful. I can't get out of bed." Um, and they get a blood test, and the doctor says, "No, your blood's are all within the normal range. There's nothing wrong with you." Um, and it's still, you know, it's we're still fighting to get um, it recognised. But at the same time, I'm a very positive person, and I am um, a determined person, and you know, and I don't, you know, like to complain. And um, and so, you know, it's I sort of find myself caught in this sort of this space where I like I. I I've learned so much through having a disability. I think it's made me a much better person, a much more empathetic person. I've learned so much about myself and the world. Um, and, um, you know, I wouldn't want to change that, but it's a hard thing to even talk about because I still feel like people go, oh, well, you're just saying that because, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Because um, chronic fatigue isn't a real, real thing. Well, that's there is so, there is a lot of you know like there is even disagreement within the dis- disability sector around around that as well. But the, here's the thing: is you, people know their own bodies, and you know yourself. And um, there's a new show starting on 3CR, Chronically Chill, which um, will be on this Wednesday. I think it's six thirty or six to six thirty. I'm not sure, but I'll be on a bit later in the day and I will play a promo for it, which will look at chronic illnesses and fatigue and um, different sicknesses that, uh, you know, are often overlooked or dismissed. Mm. So tune into that. That should be up your alley. And it it certainly is one. I I remember even in primary school with this uh, friend of mine, um, it was, uh, you know, I mean, we were what eight nine year olds at the time at the time so uh, they tend to be uh, not not as uh, not necessarily as understanding <laughs> kids just are a bit like that um, but also even some of the teachers I think there was um, I remember some some sort of sarcastic backhanded comments I mean this was uh, in the 90s as well mm. perhaps less was known about it then um, but it's always mm. been something that I've known in my mind now how how have you found 
I mean, we, we spoke to you last week on the program about the uh, party project which you're involved with, which is going out to mm. uh, pubs and clubs uh, around Melbourne's uh, inner southeast um, and talking to them about uh, drugs specifically and harm reduction around drugs. Um, so you you are working. How have you found your, your workplace in um, understanding with it? Do they work well with you on chronic f- fatigue? Like if you need to have a day off, are they uh, quite understanding? How have you found it? Yeah, I've been so lucky um, because um, uh, so um, I work with the Victorian AIDS Council, and so they have you know a number of employees who are HIV positive, HIV positive, and so um, and 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 also um, you know so they um, have been so amazing um, and so understanding um, about the importance of me being able to have flexibility. Um, so I'm really lucky in that, like, I'm able to choose which days I come in. If I'm having a bad day, it's fine. I can take, you know, come in on a different day. I can go home if I need to, work from home if I need to. Um, and, like, I just, it's, it's, I can't, I feel so lucky to, you know, have that. Um, and and it means that, you know, I'm actually able to do my job. And I, you know, I think I'm doing a really great job. Um, tell us, if, tell us a little bit about this program. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. Oh, the, the party program. Yeah, tell us oh. a little bit about the party program. <laughs> we, I'm interested in that as well. Like the flexibility is great around your work arrangements. But how does, is it, it's a harm minimisation program, is it? Yeah, so um, where um, uh it involves training, um, through, um, providing training for venue staff um, in particularly around nightclubs around the Chapel Street and St Kilda Party Precinct. Okay. Um, so training them how to, um, in harm reduction, you know, strategies to, um, with the goal to prevent um, harm and overdose around, particularly around party drugs and how to respond to overdose when it happens. Mm. Um, mm. And we're also running, like, um, putting together an education campaign. We should talk. Yeah. Kate, the reason why Liz asks is, is, is because uh, Liz is involved with um, uh, some, some council initiatives, uh, but more on the uh, disability and access to venue side. And maybe we should uh, oh. talk a little bit about that now, Liz. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk to us about the programs. So in my, in my day job, Kate and, and Nick, um, one of the projects we've been involved with is called Bandmates Victoria. And Bandmates Victoria it matches um, people with disability or mental health diagnoses with a volunteer to go out and there's you know, volunteer training, there's venue training. Um, we've had, I think, over 22 venues have done the training around disability awareness. And, you know, obviously people with disability are like anybody with, you know, the in- inclination to go out and party who may have, you know, risky behaviours at time too. So um, there's probably a natural link there. We've we've kind of hooked up with the Listen Collective and It's the Biz, which is a Western region um, network that looks at um, at safety in venues and how to improve the quality of safety for women and to reduce sexual abuse and uh, sexual assault at festivals and things like that. But harm minimisation around risky behaviours around party drugs seems to be a natural fit with that as well. Absolutely. Well, perhaps. Yeah, all right. We'll definitely need to talk. We'll talk. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. put you two in contact after <laughs> right, the show. But, but one of the uh, one of the things that perhaps I mean, geez, we're skating taboo on taboo here. But uh, one of the things that doesn't uh, get talked about much is that people with a disability um, are perhaps not intellectual disabilities. I'm not as familiar there. I don't want to um, tread on too many taboos here. But guess what? People who have a disability often also take are people drugs. that like to take drugs, not yeah. just alcohol, but uh, other substances as well. Um, sometimes it's 
for the reason that a lot of people do, just purely the the, the pleasure, the interest. Yeah. Um, but sometimes as well, I'm sure it's um, because people might find it, it actually helps them with socialising or, or something like that. The sorts of reasons that you see um, with people who don't have a disability as well. Um, and, and The yeah, reasons are exactly the same. Exactly. It doesn't doesn't change. Mm, absolutely. Well, you know, I've I I, mean, I don't I barely drink alcohol because it makes me feel terrible. Um, but um, substances like mushrooms, um, LSD, cannabis in particular, um, ketamine have been really really helpful to me. Um, they um, you know allow me to feel more comfortable in my body. Um, sort of more like help me reduce my pain. Um, help me sort of relax, help me deal with, um, you know, a, a lot of stimulus when I'm in really, like, busy environments, mm. like in a club. Um, and, yeah, and, and it really just, particularly, um, you know, doing psychedelics have really helped me sort of able to get in touch with my body and my mind and, and, and understand myself a lot more. And, and they've been Incredibly valuable for me. One of the, one of the very first times I um, tried LSD many many years ago. Um, now was with my friend Max, who I was talking about um, before. We were we were both um, at a beach, and you know that was an experience that he um, quite enjoyed as well. In fact, um, I wish I had a, a, a you know a quote or his voice here to be able to speak his ghostly voice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was somebody that um, really believed as uh, as many who uh, enjoy psychedelics do that it's an experience that shouldn't be um, something that people are afraid of, and that those with um, with a disability should be able to experience just as those um, who don't have a disability. Of course, we're talking about illicit substances here and uh, I'm not allowed to encourage you uh, to take uh, substances on the radio, but um, I also am aware that you're not really making your decisions based on what some guy on the radio says. So, And there is information out there um, for you to you know, go on and find information about these things. But it is, it is taboo on taboo, <laughs> I feel well, like. And- I would have to say, I mean, if we take away... Um, any definition of with or without disability, people are naturally curious. People have natural, you know, um, interest in exploring stuff, whether it's age-related, whether it's group-related or experience-related. So people will do that. We don't even need to define it. It's like not all people are nice. Not all people mm. with disability are nice no. either. Yeah, and that, that's <laughs> that's often a thing too that, you know, everybody's just nice, you yeah. know, and or pleasing. But I, um I, I think that was a lesson mm. I, I learned well from my friend Max as well. Um yeah. he was uh he was look, I, I think he was a nice uh, a nice person, but geez, he he loved to play up the uh when people were trying to like treat him really softly because they're like, oh this guy's a guy with a disability, I'm mm. gonna be soft and he would just go hard on them and um, use it to his advantage. <laughs> um, and it was quite entertaining for the rest of us um, and for himself. I think he, he um, quite enjoyed that, but terribly embarrassing for the people that just thought that they were doing the right, well, the right but thing. You but know they what? Just there don't is, know. There's a room for people to be able to – there's room in any, any situation for people to be able to have their own voice and hmm. be able to speak out for themselves. And exactly. there, there is kind of a um, – there's been a historical – um, pressure on people with disability or chronic fatigue and illnesses to always be pleasant and nice. Yeah. And sometimes you're just Hot frustrated and angry. I imagine that's an issue um, that many, right. many people have uh, experienced because probably um, most people would have, uh, in fact, almost, I would say all people must know somebody in their life with a disability. If we extend mm. that to um, even um, really basic vision problems, anybody that needs a, needs glasses, is that 
having a disability? Is that uh, how broad it is? No, I wouldn't say people with glasses have a disability. Um, I've gone no, too they broad. Might, <laughs> they might be disabled when they have their glasses off and can't True. see, that kind of thing, but it's quite corrective. Someone will ring in now and, and correct me on that. <laughs> but I, I feel, um, you know, I feel if, if you're not inhibited from doing ordinary stuff in an independent way um, and glasses let you drive and read and... Um, identify faces in the street and and help in that way that's great but I'm sure you know I know lots of people who take their glasses off and they just you know they can't see the forest for the trees Mm, yes. Mm. <laughs> um, now, now, Kate, is there uh, uh, anything else like working in the area that you do that you've uh, you've seen a need for more disability advocacy? I mean, I know there's a lot of a lot of issues, but oh, specifically I mean... in your area. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the, uh, I guess like nightclubs is a really interesting um, uh, like area, particularly around like awareness of security. So I'm, I'm, I'm so interested to you know, hear about this training. But um, I actually had this experience yesterday where um, I was at this day event and um, I was sitting on the couch with my partner uh, having a little rest. I had my head on his shoulder and my eyes closed. And security guards came up to me and was like clicking in my face saying, you can't I've been kicked out for that too. But I really oh. was drunk and a bit <laughs> asleep. <laughs> they so do you- that. They don't like anyone to close their so, eyes. No, that's right. And I, so I, he, he walked off and I chased after him and I said, hi, um, what's your name? My name's Kate. I have chronic fatigue syndrome. And he, he didn't want to hear it. He's like, oh, no, no, no. no. I'm like, it's fine. I was like, I, was like, I, I just kept talking. I was like, you know, in order for me to come to social events like this, to see music and see my friends, um, I need to be able to take rests and rest my eyes and take little breaks, um, you know. And he's like, oh, it's, well, the, you know, you can't do that here. We can take the room we can take you to, you know. And I was like, I don't need to go into a room. I just need to be able to rest my eyes occasionally. And so, like, now you know that's my situation. And so, like, I understand you have a job to do, but when you see me with my eyes closed, now you know that's Kate with chronic fatigue. She's not too drunk. Like, you know, she's she's sober, she's fine. Like, we'll just, like, leave her be. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. That's, that's, why <laughs> well the arts, that's why the Arts Access Victoria training that we used, Open Your Eyes is called, is fantastic. And on, on a systemic level, level starting from management, bar owners and security. Security need to be involved in this because mm. they're, they're hired hands. They come in. They mm. don't necessarily know yeah. the community that uses particular That's venues. Right. And so That's if we right. can get to security, if we can get to management and people who have a vested interest because you know what, every dollar that your disabled friend or your friend with chronic fatigue spends in that bar, their partner will be spending money. Um, so economically mm-hmm. it makes sense as well. That's right. It's interesting though, it's not just, Security, like, I noticed just, I guess, like, the way we are as a society, we, like, when the idea of taking rests is really, um, it's not encouraged. And, like, I'm a big, I'm, like, a big rest advocate. I always, I, I, um... I sort of feel like I'm like the guardian of the rest space, you know, at a festival <laughs> or something where I'll bring a blanket to sit on and then and then friends will come and all strangers will come and say, oh, can I sit with you? And I'm like, please come sit down. It's great to like rest your legs and like, oh, and people sort of, there's this perception that you just have to, you always have to be dancing. Go, and, go, you know, go. You come. Mm. Yeah, and, and people get quite, you know, concerned about when they see me resting and I, um, I had this really interesting experience at Rainbow Serpent at the start of this year where I, I don't know, for some reason, I don't know why I decided I wanted to 
uh, go in disguises an elderly woman. So I had a grey wig. I did looked up on YouTube how to do the like age makeup um, with the wrinkles, and wow. I had like a, a Nike and a handbag full of Werther's Originals and a little cane. And um, and I was having a little nap under a tree as I like to do. And um, normally people, you know, it's great. People come and check on you, and and, and that's a really good thing yeah, that they do. That important but if there's alcohol. When I say I'm just having a nap, people often find it hard to accept, like or understand <laughs> why. And often I have to explain I have chronic fatigue syndrome, and you go into this whole thing. And when I as as Be- her name was Beverly, so as Beverly, I was having a nap <laughs> under the tree, and people would be like, oh, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm just having a nap because I'm old." And they go, "Oh." Of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, hey, you found the that secret way sense. out. <laughs> You're an old lady, okay. That's fine. <laughs> but maybe we just need to switch our attitudes and let people nap if they need to. I've, I've, no, yeah, I mean, I, I'm exactly. a, I like napping sometimes as well. Um, in in uh, public places at parties and and whatnot. Not probably not not as much, but um, yeah, you you don't get a good uh, response often. I just get almost like beaten up by friends I'll slap you or whatever I don't know if that happens to you probably not uh, as much yeah. but yes people do um, <laughs> seem to have an aversion to naps so let's let's um let's end the program now we're just about out of time on, on uh, saying that uh, people ought to be able to nap let them nap uh, that is important <laughs> let the people yes. nap let them nap <laughs> and um, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on and chatting with us today Kate thank you so much for having <laughs> me see you later Kate enjoy your nap Bye. <laughs> See ya. And um, we've got about uh, about one minute left, uh, Liz, but if, is there anywhere that our listeners can go if they want to find out more about the projects that you're in, uh, so involved with? So just Google them. It's Victoria. It's been a pilot program. It's just wrapped up its pilot phase, but there's a Facebook page where people can get on, have a, have a, have a look around. People are posting events and different things that are coming up. Uh, there'll be four social events during the year that'll bring bandmates and volunteers together on mass so they can exchange stories and experiences. Just Google it. This is a 3CR community radio podcast. And Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Psychedelia program page.